By now, you've all heard of Italian Wine Unplugged 2.0, the latest book published by Mama Jumbo Shrimp. It's more than just another wine book. The fully updated second edition was inspired by students of the Vinitali International Academy and painstakingly reviewed and revised by an expert panel of certified Italian wine ambassadors from across the globe. The book also includes an edition by Professore Attilio Scienza, Italy's leading vine geneticist. The benchmark producer's feature is a particularly important aspect of this revised edition. The selection makes it easier for our readers to get their hands on a bottle of wine that truly represents a particular grape or region. To pick up a copy, just head to Amazon.com or visit us at MamaJumboShrimp.com. Welcome to this special Italian wine podcast broadcast. This episode is a recording off Clubhouse, the popular drop-in audio chat. This Clubhouse session was taken from the Wine Business Club and Italian Wine Club. Listen in as wine lovers and experts alike engage in some great conversation on a range of topics in wine. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. And remember to subscribe and rate our show wherever you tune in. Okay, welcome everybody to Clubhouse Ambassadors Corner. My name is Joy Livingston and I am standing in for Stevie Kim. She is uh, currently traveling uh, in New York and um, we wish her all the best out there. This is a uh, fantastic show we do every Thursday. Um, Actually, some other days as well. (laughs) I shouldn't say every Thursday, usually at around 6 p.m. And... This is where uh, our ambassadors from the uh, Vinitaly International Academy, um, they can come on here and interview their favorite producers. And tonight we have Claudia Ciliudi, I hope I said that correctly, um, being interviewed by Barbara Fitzgerald. So this is our 86th clubhouse, uh, which is a lot of clubhouses. Uh, not later. <laughs> and uh, we will have another next Thursday. So stick for uh, the announcement at the end. I'll probably I'd like it to do that for me at the end to tell us who else is coming on next. Uh, but for today, I'm going to introduce you, Barbara, just quickly. Barbara Fitzgerald uh, via IWA 2023 from Verona, uh, in Verona rather. And Barbara is an Italian American whose family is among the California wine industry pioneers. Her great-grandfather, an immigrant from Tuscany, obtained the fourth wine grower's license in the state. Um, So Italian wine and culture is a part of her DNA. Armed with passion and a lifetime of living in the industry, Barbara decided to build a career outside of her family's legacy. And over the past decade, she has been a powerhouse in direct-to-consumer marketing and strategy, helping wine brands find exponential increases in revenue, brand awareness, and customer base. She's also deeply committed to increasing sustainability in agriculture and equity, diversity, and inclusion through the industry. Barbara currently lives most of the time in Sonoma County, spending a few months of the year in Puglia. So, Barbara, that was... um, 
gosh. <laughs> okay, so you were in Verona this year, so you just got I back. Yes. Yes. How was how's the trip back? Oh, it was so easy. It's always bittersweet. I, you know, I love every moment that I get to be in Italy and I'm always a little sad when we come back, but then I get here and I'm reminded Sonoma County is incredible. So, <laughs> well, I I guess my before I let you go, I'm going to ask you a couple of geeky questions. Yes. So, how do you discover the wines of Azienda Agricola Chiliudi? Um, so I discovered Chiliudi 11 years ago. Um, my husband and I uh, were on our honeymoon in uh, Italy, and we uh, asked one of our uh, my husband and I also make wine. And so we asked one of our reps um, if he could suggest the best wineries to go to. And so it happened that Claudia and I were on the same distributor's book uh, with Indigenous, which doesn't even exist anymore. Um, but he said Chili D and, and Claudia was the top of his list. So Awesome. And and in terms of of the audience, what do you what do you want people to take away from the interview? What do you, what are the learning objectives that we should expect? I would love for people to really learn um, about the dedication it takes to farm grapes for quality and true expression of sight. Um, what it means to run a multi-generational wine business, especially in an area as prestigious as Piemonte and uh, the challenges and maybe even triumphs of a female wine grower, winemaker, business owner. Um, but overall, I think Claudia just has so much passion and, and gusto, and she's just a joy to listen to listen to. So, okay, fantastic. Uh, well, I guess without further ado, I, I should say before I, I hand over is that this will be replayed on the Italian Wine Podcast in the coming weeks, um, and. Yeah, at the end I'll come back if there there are any questions. Um, usually there isn't. There are sometimes, but people are shy. That's fine. Um, but uh, I'll talk to you guys in the end. Uh, go ahead, take it away. Wonderful. Um, well, I'll just tell you very briefly why um, I picked Claudia as my favorite producer. Um, it's pretty difficult to wrap into a, a compact package because there are so many reasons. But like I said, I met her. Um, 11 years ago when I visited her winery um, and she was a little late for our tasting um, because she was doing some green harvest in the vineyard and lost track of time. So she came running into the driveway. So apologetic, of course, but the vineyard couldn't wait. And I completely understood that having a family and wine growing as well. Um, but I was just taken with her in an instant. Um, some things that I have always remembered about her was as she took us around her very historic vineyards, she continued to green harvest as she was explaining everything to us. Anything that didn't look exactly right on the vine, she she fixed it there in that moment. She wore a little um, fanny pack that had kind of vine clippers in it so that she could tend to these things in any given moment. Um, and she even, when she took us into her winery to taste the wine, removed her shoes before entering because her shoes had been too dirty from working in the vineyard all morning. And I just, that level of respect for this place and this craft was really moving. Um, so her wines can be difficult to find in California, but I never read a wine list or visit a wine shop without, without looking for it. So anyway, without further ado, I'd love to introduce you to Claudia. Hi, Claudia. Are you there? <laughs> 
Hello, I'm there. <laughs> Good. First of all, I apologize for my last name, which is so complicated to pronounce. It's Chiliuti. <laughs> so I apologize about that. No, no apologies. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll just give a brief bio about um, Claudia and then we can, I'll ask you some questions. So Claudia is born in 1974. Um, she studied actually tourism at a school in Alba. Uh, and growing up, she helped her parents a lot in the vineyard. But in that period, she didn't really dream of pursuing a career in the wine industry. But when she was about 20 years old, she started working full time for her family, Agenda Agricola Fratelli Civiuti. Um, and then her younger sister, Silvia, followed after her five years um, studying enology and also came to work with the family. So they are the fifth generation and Claudia and Silvia run the company with their parents, Renato and Dina, um, and they spend most of their time in the vineyard. So Claudia manages most of the administrative aspects of the business, including marketing and exports. And her sister works um, mostly in winemaking. But again, as a whole family, um, they're all in the vineyard together. So they're just a small team of six people um, the family, and then they have two additional employees. Did I get that all right? Yes, exactly. Okay. Exactly. Everything is good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm going to ask you some questions. Yes, please. So what was it like growing up in Barbaresco? Is it kind of like, you know, an industry town where everything revolves around winemaking and viticulture? Yes, I, I grew up in Neve. Neve is one of the three villages where Barbaresco is produced. And uh, when I was uh, a child, uh, my family was poor. So the countryside uh, when I was born was still a kind of a poor area. And I remember that uh, my, for example, my cousins uh, that uh, uh, as my uncle uh, made a different uh, job were much uh, luckier than me. Um, so uh, I I lived in a, in a all the period of, of growth of this area, so from um, the poor countryside to the richness, from local sales to export, from no tourism to UNESCO heritage, uh, where we are now, from low quality wines uh, to great quality wines. Uh, in fact, uh, we have had uh, the, in, in, uh, in the 86 uh, a, a big scandal uh, of methanol scandal uh, that uh, uh, touched the, the, the people to drink a little bit less, but uh, spending a little bit more money, choosing for quality. So this was the big uh, movement from uh, quantity uh, wine to quality wine. And um, a lot of things uh, changed in uh, 40 years of my life. Uh, I'm almost uh, 50, but uh, I keep uh, still uh, being <laughs> in the 40s. <laughs> and um, so I was uh, at that time. Uh, I what I noticed the relationship uh, between producer was very close, and the producer 
met uh, very often the, the few producer making quality back in the in the 60s 70s uh, uh, my father's friends uh, met uh, quite often to taste the day wines together to uh, when a good wine uh, happened they say oh wow a good wine how did you do so it was a lot of uh, uh, exchange ideas about uh, wine making and uh, etc and um, I was uh, very lucky to to grow in the middle of the vineyards and the hazelnuts we also have hazelnuts um, in the valley where is not a good uh, uh, area for for vineyards production and uh, but of course when i was a teenager uh, and in summertime i was helping my parents uh, work in the vineyards uh, i was i was asked to help of course because uh, uh, holiday school are, are quite long in italy is three months uh, and the summertime in the in the countryside is the busiest time so i was helping in the vineyards and of course um, uh, I didn't uh, dream to to continue with this uh, with this business. Actually, uh, when I was a teenager, being a, a farmer's daughter was sometimes embarrassing. So uh, to talk uh, with my my friends, and uh, of course, I was uh, dreaming uh, something different. This is why I chose the school for tourism because my dream was to travel, uh, etc. But uh, when I was uh, twenty years old I totally understood that my future couldn't be in a different place than this uh, yard so I sti I'm still living in the same yard where I grew up where my father my grandfather were born and I feel very lucky for that yeah what an incredible yard that is <laughs> <laughs> Not many of us have UNESCO World Heritage Yards. <laughs> yeah, it, very busy. Yeah, sometimes uh, uh, winter time is a little bit uh, uh, quieter, but uh, summertime uh, become a little bit uh, busy and uh, noisy. <laughs> we can say. <laughs> and where, the vines that are on your on your vineyard now, when were those planted, and who were they planted by? Yeah, so we have uh, vineyards uh, that they are implanted back uh, from my grandfather. Uh, of course, uh, uh, my mm, my father was born just before the Second World War. So my father was born in 1938. And uh, when he was born, he uh, was young and was helping his father and his uh, uncle. My father just attended the primary school. So it was a period after the Second World War when the young guy left the poor countryside to go finding a better fortune in, in the in the cities. And uh, at the time, the agriculture was a mixed agriculture. So they used to have some vineyards, some hazelnuts, some corn, some wheat, two animals in the stable. But uh, when my father took the reins of the winery in the 60s, he actually focused more in, uh, uh, in the vineyards, so implanted more vineyards. And, uh, and of course, in, in the quality. So they go back to the, to the 60s, uh, some uh, of my father's uh, uh, oldest uh, vineyards. Wonderful. So your father was one of the original winemakers of Chiliuti, and what, what did you learn from him that you've taken with you? So 
my far my father, uh, as I was telling, just attended the primary school, and he, he always have been a great farmer. So, from him, I really uh, learned how to take care of the uh, good care of the vines, uh, respecting the environments, uh, and um, and of course uh, um, having a lot of respect of the vines because they have to live uh, so many years. So. Um, when you you face uh, a, a, you are in front of a vineyard uh, a vine you don't uh, just work for having that uh, harvest but uh, you work in a way that uh, sometimes you have uh, uh, you prefer to lose a little bit of that harvest to to save the future of of the vine so it's uh, it's a long it's like a, a, having a son having a child that you grow uh, step by step and uh, you have to keep for 80 years, uh, you know, even more sometimes. If I remember right, um, your father was one of the early adopters of green harvest, of dropping fruit. Is that is that right? Yeah, that's true. That's true. In fact, uh, uh, in the 60s, uh, the, the climate was uh, totally different from nowadays. And uh, so the, the summer, the end of the summer and uh, the autumn was more humid and the temperature actually uh, cooler than now. So it was very important uh, to, uh, to green harvest. But of course, for the people who suffered the fame during the Second World War, it was very hard to accept that a young boy was wasting the fruit down. Uh, so when they asked my dad, why you do that? Why? What's happened? What's wrong with you that you waste the fruit? And my father said, I, I can't have both uh, quantity and quality. I have to choose and I choose for quality. Yeah. And uh, so this is why he started to, to green harvest. Yeah. Italian Wine Podcast, brought to you by Mama Jumbo Shrimp. Is there, did he do anything with those dropped grapes? Nothing, no, no. Generally, they, generally we, we still uh, make the green harvest, uh, but uh, we cut them when they are still green and they da- just go on the floor and they dry in a few days because generally we do in the summertime, in uh, in end of July and the beginning of August. So they just dry on the soil. Mm. I Yes, I witnessed you green harvesting. <laughs> yeah. So what are maybe some things that you had to learn for yourself that, you know, weren't handed down to you? And maybe what yeah. are some changes that you've implemented in wine making or wine growing? So first of all, what I, I actually... Uh, what my father was not able to teach me was how to deal with importers and tastings. So uh, the public relationship. Uh, my father always been a, a very shy person uh, working the vineyards. So I remember my first time I I, I had to go to a tasting and it was uh, it happened to be in Switzerland and I told my dad why we don't go. On together so we can uh, you can teach me and my father said i'm the worst person to teach you how to deal with uh, a public uh, 
you will go by yourself, you will observe uh, the other producer and you will learn by yourself. And in fact, uh, this is uh, how I did. So I started to, to visit a few customers and I was a little bit embarrassed, shy, and I didn't talk too much because I was a little bit, uh, yes, I didn't know if uh, something was wrong to say in public or not. And uh, finally, I learned by myself, so now I feel a little bit more, um, um, uh, I feel a little bit uh, uh, Con more confident. easy. Confident, thank you, confident. Yes, yes. and um, in actually the, in the wine growing and the wine making, uh, we don't have a lot to, we didn't have to change uh, a lot from my dad because um, in the vineyards, uh, uh, he already touch uh, what we are doing now. So I have some friends uh, my age, uh, they had to fight with the parents because the parents uh, were making quantity, they wanted to make quality because in the 90s uh, uh, the, the market was asking for quality wines. Uh, I didn't have uh, to, to face uh, with this problem because already my dad uh, was open minded in the 60s and started to green harvest. And uh, in the winemaking, uh, my father always been uh, a traditional style winemaker by using the uh, Slavonian oak cask. So also in the cellar, we didn't have to change a lot because uh, um, my father always believed that uh, the Nebbiolo is, uh, is a variety that uh, doesn't need too much new oak uh, because it's very pure. So it needs to just uh, reflect the characteristic uh, of the terroir where he's from. So no, not too many uh, changement, we can That's say. Right. And I can vow that your wines 100% um, exhibit that. So. <laughs> um, so you guys grow Nebbiolo and Barbera. Um, can you speak to the differences between farming the two and the differences in production methods? Yes, Barbera is a very adaptable variety. Uh, in fact, uh, you can implant a Barbera in different parts of the world and uh, it actually gives good results. Um, while Nebbiolo is a variety that needs special soil, special exposure, special uh, climates. Is is a very Nebbiolo is a long cycle because it's the first to bud and the last to get ripe. And the Barbera, it's, uh, it's generally very generous. In fact, uh, we have to green harvest a little bit stronger, the, the Barbera than uh, the, the Nebbiolo. And um, the Barbera, um, actually, uh, the, ecco, the Nebbiolo, the problem of, of Nebbiolo is that uh, um, he only produce on the, on the first bud. So this is why in this period, uh, we just finished a few days ago, but um, in spring, when they start to, to bud, uh, there is, a, a, unfortunately, a caterpillar that uh, come out only during the night. And we have to go out uh, in the vineyards to collect this uh, caterpillar because they eat the, 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 the bud when it is very tender, when it is very small. And so uh, before it starts to, to break and the leaves come out. So now we just have the, the leaves out and they don't uh, eat anymore. Uh, it, it can give... A, a, 
and another bud because it's early, so another bud can give another stem. But the problem is that Nebbiolo only produce on the first stem and not on the second. And uh, while Barbera is generous and can only pro also produce on the second uh, bud. In fact, in 2017, we have had a very bad hailstorm in, in April and uh, we had to, to prune uh, all the vines. Uh, another stem came out, so it was nice to have a good stem for the pruning of the next uh, winter, but uh, uh, we lost uh, minus 80% of the production. So it was just a few grapes, small grapes, uh, one year and another there, so it was very sad. So Nebbiolo is, uh, is kind of uh, <laughs> complicated yeah. sometimes, yes, Barbera is very, very easy going, we can say, yeah. And is that the worst hail damage that you've ever seen? Uh, we had another one in 92. So 92 and uh, 2017 was uh, far. And so we could uh, have survived. But uh, uh, luckily, we don't have uh, this uh, very bad. Uh, oh, okay. We don't know the future. But uh, uh, so far, <laughs> we, we didn't have uh, so often. Uh, so it, it was fine. It was fine. Yeah. And so you talked a little bit already how you make your Nebbiolo, but what about production for Barbera? Is it similar? Do you do something different to make the Barbera once it comes into so the winery? Yeah, into the winery, we uh, make a little bit longer fermentation for Nebbiolo and a little bit uh, shorter for uh, for Barbera, which is about 8 to 10 days for Barbera and uh, 20 for Nebbiolo. And then uh, uh, Barbera is a wine with, um, of course, a good concentration of the fruit, uh, but a quite high acidity and doesn't have tannins. So uh, we noticed that uh, aging Barbera in... Um, in oak, for example, also using French oak, is good because make this acidity a little bit rounder, which is good. Uh, while for Nebbiolo, we, we mostly use the, the, the biggest Lavonian oak cask because we want, is a more elegant variety and a very um, terrain character. So we prefer to use the Slavonian oak cask um, with the aging to just uh, leave uh, the characteristic of the wine ex um, uh, experience at its best. So transfer the characteristic of the, of the vineyards from the vineyards to the bottle uh, without uh, oak influence. And on your vineyards, you have Nebbiolo planted at the at the peaks of the vineyards and is the Barbera then planted in the mid slopes? We can say that um, we uh, implant, we mostly have the Nebbiolo implanted in the southwest exposure where the soil is chalky, while we have uh, mostly our Barbera in the southeast uh, exposure where the soil is clay. So we are located on the Serra Boella Cru and we are on the top of the hill and we have two different exposures. So we uh, mostly have uh, the Nebbiolo in, in one side and the Barbera to the other side. Uh, mostly, we can say. Mm. So then they're both kind of on hillsides, top to bottom. Exactly. But uh, the bottom of the southwest exposure, actually, we have also Barbera. 
So we are the, the we have the Nebbiolo on the on the top part of the southwest and the Barbera at the bottom, and then mostly Barbera on the southeast exposure where the soil is clay, and we have uh, a few uh, small uh, vineyard of Nebbiolo also in the southeast facing, which is now very good because give uh, as the climate changed a lot, uh, we have a little bit more freshness uh, from those uh, those vineyard. So. And do you notice big differences since you're growing some of some of them in different soils? Do you notice big differences between the grapes grown in the different soils? And not so much uh, from the soil, but uh, mostly from the freshness, from the shadow that uh, you get uh, in a warmer summer. So our barbarescos uh, um, generally uh, in the in the weaker vintages always uh, gave its best because our exposure in Saraboella is is very good, and Saraboella is a very uh, good exposure also because the um, uh, the value is uh, quite uh, wide so we don't have other hills that make a shadow on it uh, but of course now with this uh, climate changing uh, we sometimes have warmer uh, vintages so it's good to have uh, uh, these uh, two vineyard two parcels um, in the southeast uh, facing that uh, give a little bit more uh, cooler <laughs> climate to the <laughs> to the warm exposure so it's it's fine it's a good it's good to have them to blend together yes absolutely yes <laughs> can you talk a little bit about the importance of subsidies for your farming and for your production and do you believe that subsidies can help to level the playing field for large producers and boutique producers in Piemonte so unfortunately in Italy uh, there is no distinction between uh, a, a small producer who make uh, for example 30,000 bottles and a bigger producer who make 1 million bottles so uh, we have the same treatment from the government uh, which is not actually uh, our best uh, uh, wish because uh, um, for small uh, wineries like us uh, uh, everybody do everything we are very busy working the vineyards uh, so we don't have enough uh, resources to have a secretary to have somebody involved in the and the bureaucracy nowadays is becoming becoming really really uh, crazy. Um, we would love to spend more time. Uh, I would love because the bureaucracy is just uh, on, on my person, <laughs> unfortunately. But uh, I would love to to be able to spend more time in the in the vineyards because our job is not to be an accountable, but to be a farmer. So, uh, unfortunately, the Italian government doesn't understand this. Uh, they should. Uh, make our life uh, much easier and it is not like that unfortunately mm. <laughs> so the subsidies just kind of they're not specific it's not like you get you know a specific subsidy for farming and then a specific subsidy for like bottling or something like that you just get one kind of sum from them and you can spend, direct it however you want exactly yeah exactly mm. so that's a little, yeah, like, that's a little different than I think my my romantic view. I come from California where there are no subsidies. So I always thought this romantic view that, oh, you get so much help. It must be so nice. But <laughs> yeah, it's not actually <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like that. Yes. No, no. 
we we don't uh, get uh, many many subsidies uh, um, we we would love uh, uh, honestly just to to be able to make uh, our our job uh, a little quieter more relaxed in the vineyards without having too much control this is just what we ask for yes uh, yes that's true well, that's a good lead into my next question. So, you know, again, I'm here in California where we don't have any governing body that regulates viticulture and production. So, you know, we can grow anything anywhere and vinify it kind of however we want. But obviously in Italy, you have the DOP system. So do you yeah. think that this benefits both large and small growers and producers? And are there any specific pros or cons to that that you want to discuss? Yes, yes, for sure. This is important. It's very important to have, uh, okay, we have the DOC, DOCG, and uh, we have a, a, a limited uh, area for, for Barbaresco. Barbaresco is produced only in three villages, but all only in 11 villages. So they are very strict in, in, in growing, in planting more uh, uh, vineyards. And, and this is good. This is good because if uh, we listen to some uh, big uh, producer, we would just open uh, the uh, the borders and implant bar Barbaresco everywhere, allow to make Barbaresco everywhere, and this is not correct. Uh, so I think the the, the law we have about Barolo and Barbaresco are very important and. Um, and it's good that uh, the, the consortium sometimes, uh, um, of course, uh, look uh, on the um, how the, the, the market uh, for those wines uh, uh, go. So if uh, there is uh, um, a lot of demand uh, and a small quant quantity available, increase uh, it can increase uh, about uh, six acres a year. So every producer can apply uh, to. Uh, to have a, a little bit uh, more piece of Barbaresco or Barolo with some limits, with of course also the limit of the exposure, etc. So it's it's nice that uh, that uh, we are controlled and uh, we 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 have a system that uh, that is working. Yeah. Yeah. And then there is the Lange denomination where you can uh, experiment. So if um, Somebody want to implant different varieties, want to implant uh, uh, outside the area. So we also have the 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 the, the, the denomination to to play with a little bit more open. But uh, it's good to keep the Barolo and Barbaresco a little bit strict. Yeah. yeah. What are some of the more interesting varieties outside of, you know, the, the, the others from the Longue denomination that you've seen planted or the wines that you've tried? In, uh, in our area? Yeah. Yes. Well, we actually, um, okay, Barbera and Nebbiolo, Sobarolo, Barbaresco is fine. We, we I think that um, the, the, in this area, most of the producers are staying on the local varieties, indigenous varieties, which is good. In I think in the past they were experimenting a little bit more, uh, but now they they mostly stay on these uh, indigenous varieties. Probably they are uh, in um, experimenting a little bit more on the whites 
in Altalanga, which is, of course, higher elevation, and in the bubbles. So we, we have an Altalanga uh, movement, uh, which is growing uh, a lot, but is a little bit higher elevation. It's not far from where we are, but higher elevation, where you have, of course, a little bit cooler um, climate. Yeah, that's great. Well, I always appreciate Italian bubbles, so I'm happy about yeah. that. <laughs> um, are there any specific challenges you're facing in regards to climate change? And if so, how have you altered your farming to address these? Yeah, uh, this is a question that uh, is uh, <laughs> this year uh, is uh, terrifying us because uh, we have uh, uh, a lot of uh, drought. Uh, we really need uh, rain. We were expecting some rain for today, but uh, not uh, right yet. Uh, thankfully, we have had a cold winter. So last year was a kind of uh, uh, dry uh, summer, and then it turned to be. Uh, uh, kind of good uh, harvest, so the reserve uh, were still uh, enough. Uh, we had a little bit of snow this winter. We we had very little uh, rain showers, but we really need uh, uh, more rains uh, to to be able to <laughs> to harvest this uh, uh, 2023. And generally, with the climate change, which uh, means just a little bit warmer summertime because the, the, the winter is still cold, which is good for the vegetation, for the vineyards. And uh, we generally leave a little bit more uh, vegetation that make a shadow in the best exposure. So the best exposure, we, we don't uh, remove all the, all the suckers, but uh, we, we, we keep uh, some uh, in the late uh, uh, June uh, like that. So they, they make a little bit of shadow. And of course, we are reducing a little bit the green harvest. And so if uh, back uh, in the 80s, uh, 70s uh, and uh, 90s uh, mm, we, we were making very strong green harvest or, or even in 14, in uh, 2002, so vintages, they were a little bit um, more humid in summer with more rains in summer. So we reduce a little bit stronger the green harvest when it is warm. Uh, we reduce a little bit the, the green harvest. So, I guess everyone is uh, dealing with similar things. We, we same in California. We didn't have rain for basically five years. So yeah, and then uh, you had uh, a lot of snow. Yes. And, uh... Now this year, this year has been very different. So maybe you're following maybe. behind us. Maybe next yeah. year will be your year. Yeah, exactly. Hopefully. <laughs> Um, are there any specific challenges that you faced or are facing as, as a female in, in winemaking and wine growing? And has this changed over time? Yes. So in the past, uh, uh, when I was younger, when, uh, of course, uh, was a little bit uh, um, more difficult uh, because uh, the people uh, in the wine industry didn't uh, care a lot about what uh, a lady was uh, telling, uh, describing about uh, the wine, uh, the, the, the farming and the winemaking, because they believed the lady were just staying in the office uh, <laughs> and and the taking care of the uh, of the paperwork, but uh, um, now it's uh, it's. 
totally different because there are more uh, ladies working in the in the wineries. So it's uh, it's it's totally changed. And uh, of course, uh, being a, a lady sometimes uh, in the um, in the vineyards uh, can be a little bit uh, hard work because. Um, uh, there are still some works uh, that uh, require uh, men muscles, but uh, uh, for most of the works, uh, uh, ladies, I would say that uh, working in the vineyards are even better than uh, uh, than male because they have more attention, more careful, and uh, mostly the summertime uh, works uh, are made uh, uh, better by by ladies. I would say. <laughs> <laughs> well, it just because it's it's more uh, work that requires more attention to detail, or exactly, yeah. exactly for <laughs> details, uh, pas- uh, patience, uh, having more, pa- be, be more patient. Uh, yes, this uh, is uh, something for ladies. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because when, for example, we green harvest, uh, the green harvest is um, so. When we green harvest, the grapes are very um, are very delicate. When the the grapes are green, are very delicate. So you have to okay the grapes you cut now uh, you decide to cut on the floor you can uh, treat uh, how you want uh, it's not something uh, that you have to be careful but uh, you need to be careful not touch uh, the grapes you want to leave on the plant uh, on the vine and uh, generally ladies uh, are more delicate in this uh, part of uh, of job so they don't touch uh, all the grapes but uh, they just touch the ones they want to cut so this i think is something that uh, is much uh, better for for ladies yeah <laughs> and maybe they have kind of smaller hands too so exactly <laughs> exactly this is also helpful yeah <laughs> Uh, who are some of the other Italian female wine growers or winemakers that inspire you? Hey, when I started uh, in, uh, ni- in the nineties, uh, helping my my father, actually, I I, I have been uh, one of the yes first uh, daughters. They they decided to continue with this business. Actually, Chiara Boschis from Barolo was uh, started already in the eighties, but at that time I didn't know her. Now I know her very well, and uh, we are very good friends. And, uh, and nowadays uh, there is uh, Scavino sisters, Silvia Altare, Maria Teresa Mascarello, the Rocca sisters, uh, Marta and Carlotta Rinaldi. So there are there are many 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 uh, ladies uh, in the wine business and uh, in the wine um, production and uh, i remember uh, my father for my dad was uh, uh, being a farmer without a son was something very unlucky you know was very big unluck uh, to to have to be a farmer uh, without a son but uh, Luckily, also some other farmers in the area in Piedmont uh, didn't have uh, boys, uh, just uh, daughters, and uh, they are all working with them in the uh, in the winery. So I, I'm very happy that uh, we are a little bit stronger, <laughs> stronger uh, women uh, in this job in this business. Yes, yeah. a female revolution. <laughs> yeah, the female revolution in Piedmont. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> that's fantastic. 
So we'll shift a little bit now um, to more of your the sales piece, but what are your top three export markets at the moment? And are they different than they were five years ago? Oh, USA has uh, always been uh, our first market because, of course, it's, it's a big country. And uh, my father started to export in 1974, so it, it's a very long time ago. Uh, second market is uh, Sweden, uh, I would say, and the third is uh, Switzerland. Also, Switzerland was uh, one of the first markets my father opened in uh, the end of the 70s. And we actually still have the same importer there. Uh, so I think that in the last five years, uh, they, these are the three markets that are always the, the biggest. Uh, in the 90s, I remember that uh, one of the biggest markets was Germany. And uh, now, uh, honestly, uh, Germany, uh, Germany is, is our smallest uh, market. So it's... Uh, it's strange, but uh, this is uh, how it uh, it works. Uh, and then uh, we we also export a little bit in Canada, a little bit in Australia, a little bit in Japan, uh, a little bit in Singapore, a little bit in Hong Kong, uh, in Belgium, Holland, Scandinavia, the rest of the Scandinavia. So a little bit um, everywhere, <laughs> we can say. That's wonderful. I'm just working on getting more of it to California. I think it stops, you know, in the I think it stops in Colorado in the United States. Yeah. It's hard to find here. So <laughs> I will um, work on that as soon. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so how much, if at all, do you rely on tourism to to your winery or to the area? And would you like to see an increase in direct to consumer business? Uh, we have a lot of tourism uh, right now, so we are very happy. Um, and sometimes uh, I I apologize, uh, but uh, I can't uh, uh, receive uh, all the require that I have. Uh, the problem is that um, if I if I just receive. Uh, Visitors, I have no time to work in my vineyards. So um, I, in some, mostly in uh, in May, June, uh, and uh, also during the harvest. So there are some period during the year that uh, I would love to receive uh, everybody that write me. But uh, um, I apologize if sometimes I answer that uh, I can't uh, receive them uh, because there are some periods you really need to be in the vineyards. Uh, it's it's very important uh, to be in the vineyards. So I think we already have uh, enough uh, enough uh, tourism, and the quality of the tourism in our area is also very very good. So we are very lucky, very lucky. That's wonderful. So I would say in California, some of our greatest post-pandemic challenges that we're facing in production, you know, in the industry, is labor shortage and rising production costs and supply chain issues. And is that the same for you in Piemonte? And if not, what are your greatest post-pandemic challenges? Yeah, uh, the problem uh, uh, post the pandemic, yes, is that uh, the employment uh, is is a big problem. So you don't uh, find uh, uh, any people that want to work in the vineyards. Even the foreigners, uh, we used to we used to have a lot of, we still have a lot of foreigners, but uh, the new generation are looking for a different job and uh, we don't have uh, uh, new people uh, who want to work the vineyards. And of course, I, 
for some reason I can understand, but uh, I, I noticed that even in the restaurant business, um, it's hard to find uh, uh, sommeliers. It's hard to find the people who want to to work in the restaurant business, and uh, a little bit everywhere. Talking with other uh, people in different uh, subjects, uh, everybody complain about the employment. Yeah, so we don't have uh, employ enough employees. Um, and uh, after pandemic, uh, we we can say that. Uh, Except from that, uh, we, we are almost, we almost for, forgot to have had a pandemic because everything started to be uh, like uh, normal. And uh, so everything came back. Yeah. That's great. That's great. <laughs> yes. Mamma mia, what a, what a period of, yeah. uh, it looks something really unreal, unreal to live. Yeah. yeah. How but did it affect, you know, be, is, I know, Italy's lockdown was pretty strict. And how did that affect, um, you know, your vintage in 2020, especially? Yeah. So living in the countryside for us was a big luck uh, because we were allowed to go out to work in our vineyards. The nature don't never stop. So you can close everybody at home and stop everything. But uh, the nature keep going on. And so we, we always uh, keep, kept working our vineyards and uh, and uh, we okay if we didn't have a tv if we didn't watch uh, the news on tv honestly we even didn't notice because uh, we keep we kept working the vineyards and uh, going out in our vineyards and this kept uh, us very uh, well being in uh, in certain uh, situation um Nothing, uh, not nothing special for for us actually. But uh, of course, uh, uh, and we also have uh, a lot of luck to have our kids um, in the country, in the countryside, uh, uh, playing in the yard. Uh, that uh, it's it seems like a stupid things, but uh, at the time it was really a lot, really a lot. Absolutely, I feel the same living here in the country of Sonoma County, and I've always I have had such empathy for people in really urban areas. How difficult that must have been! Oh yeah, that's true. Living in an apartment in the city was yeah. very hard. So we we were very lucky. I always tell that. I always tell. Yeah. Yeah. So, what are your um, what are, would you say are the three greatest vintages that you've been a part of? Ah, okay. Allora, I love uh, the 99. Maybe the 99 was uh, one of my favorite in the past. Then I would say 01. And uh, I would say the third, the 19. I love the 19, which is uh, just released last year, but 19. So I, I generally prefer the cooler uh, vintages, which are not the easiest to understand when we release, of course, because they are uh, shy. They don't want to show it the best uh, when we release. Uh, classic uh, style, uh, freshness, but of course, uh, these vintages are the ones that uh, you can uh, appreciate uh, by keeping them in the cellar for a uh, for few years or many years, actually. So, um, I would say that uh, 1901 and 19 are my favorite. Good. I wrote that down because that's what I'm going to go look for now. <laughs> <laughs> 
So you mentioned you have kids. So what is, is there a next generation for Chuyuti? Yes. So now we are two sisters and uh, we have uh, three boys uh, coming, but they are still too young. So <laughs> uh, we still have to work uh, many years, uh, me and my sister, before they, they will be introduced 100% in the in the in the winery i i hope i hope now of course when you are a kid you want to help you want to harvest you want to bottle you want to package you want you want to be everywhere and uh, and i hope they will keep uh, be interested in this business uh, what i i can tell is that my parents never forced me and my sister to continue with this business and I'm very thankful for that because maybe if they were forcing us, we choose the, we turn to choose other business. Uh, they, they left us very, very, very free uh, to decide. And uh, we are both working together. So I learned from them that I have to repeat the same uh, thing. I, I would never uh, force them to continue with this business. I will let them very free. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's great because then you develop your own passion for it. And exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I totally agree. And how um, how do you and your sister? I mean, so you do most of the you mentioned marketing export. Your sister does a lot of the winemaking. Are there any other responsibilities that you have to divide or do you have any suggestions that you can offer people to work well with your family? Uh -huh. Yes, uh, it's mostly this, uh, uh, we share these, um, uh, yes, these uh, things between us. Uh, we have a very good relationship. Um, and um, so, uh, because, uh, so when we have to, to do some uh, restoration or uh, new building, I let her uh, decide because she's better than me and uh, she let me decide in 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 in, uh, in the subject where uh, she believe I'm better than her so there is a lot of respect we know where we are better <laughs> and so we leave us uh, decide where we in, in the sorry I uh, maybe I'm not explaining well no, but I, uh, I completely understand what you're saying Okay, so in this way. And, and then we both work in the vineyards. So most of our time is spent in the vineyards because um, all the works are made by hand. We live in, uh, in uh, hills, on the hills. And so we can't use uh, the machine to do the works in, uh, in the rows. And uh, we, we really spend a lot of time, mostly starting from uh, end of April when we start with the green pruning until uh, the end of the harvest. We will spend uh, most of our time in uh, um, in the vineyards uh, and uh, I will do some uh, bureaucracy in the evening and on Sundays and uh, and then I will dedicate most of our time in the in the vineyards and there is the place where we relax both of us uh, yeah. <laughs> we relax from <laughs> our kids <laughs> and our <laughs> It's a great a great escape. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a great escape. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I can't let you go because I'm also Italian. I life is all about food too. So I can't let you go with talk without talking a little bit about food. So what are your uh, favorite regional dishes to pair with Nebbiolo and Barbera? Okay, so I would say that uh, I would uh, um, 
combined the Barbera with uh, uh, some rich food, so some uh, uh, salami. Our area is uh, is also famous for for making salami, and uh, I would say that Barbera with the high acidity is is great with the salami, but also uh, with a, a good risotto. I would say a ragu risotto. Uh, so ragu, we can say bolognese risotto, and I will combine uh, a barbaresco. Um, or or Barolo uh, with the, um, of course with the red meat uh, if you have a game uh, or, or also lamb uh, and uh, a piece of uh, aged cheese is great of course if you have a truffle even better <laughs> for example in uh, in November October November uh, I would prefer to to combine with the truffle uh, we also um, combine with the fish sometimes so uh, we also like to combine uh, which is not a, actually a regional uh, specific dish but uh, uh, the bacala for example can be our a regional dish as it was um, the only way to to preserve the, the fish being under salt uh, from the past so it has always been our uh, local Piemontese dish as well. So it's also very good with bacala. And how do you prepare the bacala? In umido or? In umido. See, yeah. I prepare. Uh, allora, there is a two way that I like, or is in umido with uh, uh, parsley. Parsley, a little bit of onion, a piece of garlic, a lot of parsley and uh, um, olive oil and a little bit of tomato, but very little. And then uh, you go with the, the baccala. Otherwise, I like uh, to, to, to fry the, the, the baccala and uh, separately make uh, um, another uh, uh, potatoes, uh, peppers and um, onions, all fried together and then you combine these two um, dishes together and it's uh, it's great and uh, this is also good with barbera i would say as you deep fry the um, the baccala also the barbera can be a good combination with this dish it sounds fantastic you know it's only 10 o'clock in the morning here but i could eat all of yeah. that right now <laughs> 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 yeah, some recipes. I like uh, cooking and uh, I make my own bread. I have my own uh, mother's yeast. Uh, so oh, I, wow. yeah, I like, uh, I like uh, cooking. I, I have more time in the winter time than in the summertime, but uh, yes, it's yes. something good. Yeah. <laughs> have you had a good year in Piemonte for truffles? Unfortunately, not. Oh. No. It was very dry last summer, so we didn't have a good, uh, good year. In fact, I almost even didn't taste last year the truffles. Uh, mm. So hopefully we will have a, a, a wet uh, summer this year so we can uh, have some truffles uh, for uh, next autumn. Yes. Uh, because the many tourists are coming for the truffle. It's a pity when you can't make them happy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. you've got some other delicious food too to offer them. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. That's true. That's true. That's well, true. Is there anything else that you want to talk about that you feel you didn't get to? I think we talk about a little bit of everything. See. 
Well, it looks like actually we just had a question pop up in the chat. Um, someone is okay. curious to know if you or your sister have ever tried making a white wine. Oh, wow. So <laughs> we actually started to experiment uh, 10 years ago with a, with a white wine. And um, it's a Chardonnay. Uh, and we just released this year, the 2019. Uh, is in Boella. It's a very small production. We make uh, 600 bottles a year. So <laughs> very small production. And uh, yes, that's true. We wanted to to start to experiment a little bit on the on the white uh, so we we tried to make a, a burgundy style of uh, chardonnay but uh, the production is small and we are not going to uh, to grow we, the idea is not to implant more chardonnay but uh, uh, we are very happy to 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 have decided to make it yeah we really like well hopefully i'll get to try it soon. I love Chardonnay because it's so expressive of where it comes from. So it's exactly. interesting to see what's going on where. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, okay. Those were all my questions. So I'm going to pass it back over to Joy, but truly, Claudia, I just want to thank you so much Gracia Mila, for your time because you no, really, thank you've you. been a, a North Star for me since I met you all those years uh, ago. So <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Happy Easter, everybody. Happy Easter as well to you guys. I, I That was a lovely conversation. Um, and I, I, yeah, wow, you guys could keep going. I just, uh, I think that uh, if there were questions, I'm going to have to forward them to you on your emails because we are out of time. Uh, just before we go, though, like, a, what is our next uh, clubhouse? Hi, um, so the next one is on Thursday, on April 13, uh, Charlotte Ho, um, she's going to be actually in Milan together with Sonia Spadaro Molone. So they're going to do a clubhouse together. So that's going to be Thursday next week. Super. Okay. Well, Barbara, Claudia, thank you so very, very, very much for taking the time to be on this show and again it'll be on the italian wine podcast i'll let you guys know when it comes out and send you a link and i wish everybody a fantastic easter weekend and um yeah that's 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 it you guys have a great night thank you you too ciao everyone thank you thank you bye bye thank you bye Listen to the Italian Wine Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Himalaya FM, and more. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. Until next time. Chin-chin.